When we studied the Psalms at Moore College, our lecturer would begin with a poem to help get us in the right frame of mind. So I thought I would do that today. It's a haiku poem by the comedian Bill Bailey, which he says is meant to capture the experience of living life in the modern West. As he points out, news of chaos and destruction is constantly flooding into our lives via the internet, our phones and our computers. It's upsetting and it's overwhelming, but he says we can't be upset all the time because otherwise we'd never take the bins out. And so we need to distract ourselves. We need the mundane and the sensual and the trivial. And so he calls his poem The Paradox of the West. It's only short, so you've got to pay attention. In this mad world spun fast, for nothing lives fly past. Helplessly we look on aghast. Oh, kick! That's the poem. <laughs> I quite like it. And don't you think it captures something quite true to our experience? Our lives are flooded with information 24-7. We are aware of injustices and atrocities and just sheer ridiculousness that is happening thousands of kilometres away from where we live. And on top of that, we're exhorted to care and to act and to do something lest we find ourselves complicit in that wrong. From primary school, at least, Kids are told that the purpose of their lives is to make a difference or to change the world. And on top of it all, we're burdened with the responsibility of finding ourselves to create and to curate our own meaningful existence, lest for nothing our lives fly past. And so is it any wonder that we are driven to distraction, whether it's hours spent scrolling on social media or binge-watching the latest TV show or if it's playing an addictive new word game on your phone. Is anyone playing Wordle? Yeah. <laughs> Guilty hands. I am also playing Wordle. I did well today, if you want to know. <laughs> See, we need respite, don't we, from the tidal wave of content that threatens to overwhelm us. And, of course, there are many people happy to provide the content that we need. And so perhaps there's no better word to describe the current state of our culture than restless. Whether we're running around trying to create meaning or to make a difference or we're rushing around to find some diversion to ease our sense of burden, there's a restlessness that characterises modern life. And it's into this restlessness that Psalm 131 speaks. This psalm belongs to a collection of 15 psalms that are called the Songs of Ascents. These are psalms of going up. And most people suggest they were collected together and sung by pilgrims as they journeyed on their way. It could have been those coming back to Jerusalem from exile. It could have been those journeying up to the temple to worship. But whether it was for ancient Israel then or for the church today, these psalms are given to us by God to focus our minds that we might be able to faithfully follow the Lord wherever we happen to find ourselves on our journey. And so for us, I think this psalm will help us to find contentment in all of the complexities of modern life. It will help us to find stillness in the chaos. It will point us out of weariness and into worship. And it will lead us out of that restlessness and into true rest. For ultimately, this psalm is calling us to let go of constant striving, of constantly trying to satisfy our desires and depending upon ourselves. And it calls us instead to put our hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore.
So what we'll do is we'll take a look at each verse of Psalm 131 as it presents before us an aspiration, an illustration, and then a conclusion. And so the psalmist begins, verse 1. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. And that, I think, is as much a statement of aspiration as it is one of fact. As the Israelites sang this song on their pilgrimage, they were teaching and admonishing one another in the words of Colossians 3. And they were pointing each other to this goal, to subdue the natural pride of our hearts, to still the unruly arrogance of our desires, to confine ourselves to that sphere of influence that God has called us to. See, the aspiration of this song is to a whole-bodied humility. The state of our hearts, not proud. The seeing of our eyes, not lofty. And ultimately, the concerns of my life, not things too great or wonderful for me. And I wonder if any of us could come up with a more countercultural statement if we tried. See, according to the wisdom of our day, there is nothing that is too great for us. And there is nothing too wonderful to be pursued. Every single person, we're told, can be anything uh, or do anything that they want to. In this verse, uh, if this verse were written today, it might go like this. In your heart is all you need. Chase after whatever you see. Concern yourself with great things, for wonder is your destiny. That's quite good, I think. (laughs) Now, at first, that sounds invigorating and inspiring, doesn't it? But there's really something quite inhuman about demanding that everyone be great, that everyone be significant. The writer Alan Noble says this, the fundamental assumption of modern life is you are your own and you belong to yourself. And if we are our own, then it's up to us to forge our own identities and to make our lives significant. But while this may sound empowering, it turns out to be a crushing responsibility, one that never actually delivers on its promise of a free and fulfilled life, but instead leaves us burned out, depressed, anxious and alone. See, the problem with this modern assumption that we belong to ourselves is it places us and our own desires at the centre of the universe. See, we are the centre of our own meaning and identity. We are the centre of our own plans and destiny. Even news from around the world comes with this kind of veiled question. Well, what are you going to do about it? And whether we commit ourselves to a road of endless self-improvement and optimisation, or whether we just resign ourselves to just trying to get by as best we can, this lie that we belong to ourselves leaves us exhausted and exasperated. And so the aspiration of Psalm 131 ought to be like a breath of fresh air. We don't need to be the centre of everything. We need to humble ourselves before the Lord. You don't have to chase after everything you see. Simply pursue those things which are good and right and true. Here's something to aspire towards. Not to concern yourself with every great and wonderful thing, but to confine your attention to the people who are right there before you. To that place where God has in his sovereign care placed you. Not to grasp for greatness, but to gratefully receive everything you have and everything you need 
from the hand of God. And that's the point that is then illustrated in verse 2. The psalmist continues, But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. See, if we just described the modern person as restless, Psalm 131 pictures the faithful person like a child resting happily on her mother's lap. Now, I don't have much experience about weaning a child. It's not something I've done. Um, But I think that this image, this illustration, is helping us to understand contentment in two different ways. See, firstly, the contented weaned child is no longer ruled by their own instincts and desires. See, I gather that's the way babies work. They feel hungry and so they cry out for food. They need to burp and so they cry out for whatever you need to do when a baby needs to burp. They poo their pants and so they cry out to be changed. See, the young child's life is entirely governed by their needs of that particular moment. But as the child grows older, hopefully those instinctive desires are brought under some measure of control. The child will still get hungry, but that feeling of hunger no longer dominates everything else in its life. And because that basic desire no longer rules, it means that the child is no longer constantly restless. It may still have a grumbling stomach, but it can still rest and sit quietly because their stomach no longer rules them. And what makes that possible is the second aspect of this illustration. The weaned child, we're told, sits happily with its mother. The great comfort of the weaned child is that it's not solely responsible for satisfying every need and desire that they feel. They don't belong to themselves. They belong to their mother. And they have come to know and to trust the loving care of their mother as the single truth that rules every other aspect of their lives. And from that comfort flows contentment. The child happily waits upon their mum even as their empty stomach grumbles. And Psalm 131 is pressing us to see that we have that same comfort in our relationship with God. We can calm and quiet ourselves because the loving care of the Lord is the single truth that rules over everything else in our lives. And so consider, for example, the first question and answer from the Heidelberg Catechism. This was a series of questions and answers from the 16th century designed to teach the truth of the gospel. The first question is this, what is your only comfort in life and death? And the answer, that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful saviour, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not even a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. See, we don't belong to ourselves We belong to a Father in heaven who loves us and a faithful Saviour who has rescued us. And that means we don't need to justify our own existence. 
Christ himself has justified us by his blood. We don't need to secure our freedom for ourselves. Christ has freed us. We don't need to create our own meaning because God has revealed his divine will to us. We don't need to make our lives significant for God is already working everything together for our good. And we don't bear any single responsibility of our life alone because God has poured out his spirit into our hearts to help us. We don't need to grasp for anything and we don't need to try and distract ourselves from reality because the fundamental truth of reality is not the way I feel. It is the divine love of the triune God. And so contentment comes from living life in God's lap, as it were, receiving from his hand all that we need to live our particular lives in the particular time and place that God has placed us in his story of redemption. Which is, of course, the conclusion of verse 3. Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. When all is said and done, patient trust in the Lord is the spring from which all humility and contentment flows. Rather than relentlessly trying to make a difference or restlessly seeking to satisfy our own desires or running after the latest diversion or distraction, this psalm calls us to depend upon the Lord, to wait upon him, to allow him to be the one who rules everything in our lives. And when we set ourselves upon that course, we find it to be the way of rest. And I think that helpfully takes us to the heart of this psalm's message to us today. See, to the paradox of life in the West, this psalm presents us with the paradox of ascent. It's a psalm of going up, remember. And yet it teaches us that the key to going up is to go down in humility before the Lord. The key to growing up into maturity is to become like a dependent child. The key to a truly transformative life is simple trust in the Lord. And the key to being a pilgrim, the key to faithfully following the way is to allow the voice of Jesus to rise above every other as we hear him call, follow me. And all of these things come together in Jesus' conversation with the rich young ruler in Matthew 19. And so that is a good place for us to end today. Because you get the sense from this young man's interaction with Jesus that here was a guy concerned with greatness. He had great wealth. He had great power and great influence. He had great obedience. He had great aspirations. And I suspect if he walked into our church today, we would be just as impressed with him as Jesus' disciples were. But he is completely flummoxed as Jesus attempts to teach him about the paradox of ascent. For Jesus is trying to teach this young man that he needs to wean himself off self-dependence and trusting in all of his stuff and instead to trust in the Lord. See, from the very beginning of this conversation, Jesus is trying to take this man out of the centre that there might be room for God. He says, there is only one who is good. Newsflash, it's not you, sorry. He says, take all that you have and give it away. Follow me, Jesus says. But the young man can't humble his proud heart. 
He can't lower his lofty eyes. He can't let go of his concern for great things. He can't calm and quiet his desires. And so he can't find the happiness, the contentment that comes from relaxing into the embrace of Christ. He goes away sad because he has great wealth. See, that's the paradox of the West in a nutshell, isn't it? Our constant pursuit of greatness and wonder leaves us wearied and exhausted. And many people have observed the irony that we have so much and yet we still find ourselves so restless. So many people go away sad because they have great wealth. But here is the paradox of ascent that bookends this whole story. Jesus says to the crowds, let the little children come to me. And do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And then again, right at the end, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much. And will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last. And many who are last will be first. When we become little children, we discover that we are heirs of God's kingdom. When we give up our own aspirations for greatness, for Jesus' sake, we find it's not a sacrifice at all. It's an investment that reaps eternal reward. When our heart is not proud and our eyes are not lofty, We discover we're lifted up to the throne. We must go down to be lifted up. We must be last in order to be first. And that changes the way we approach everything in our lives. And so when we give ourselves to quietly praying for our government rather than constantly criticising them on social media, we will find that we're not only far less outraged all the time, but we'll be far more politically productive for our country. And when we all stop trying to be amateur epidemiologists who know everything about how to respond to a global pandemic, and instead we commit ourselves to submitting to the government and serving and loving our neighbours, we'll find ourselves to be far less vexed with everyone and we will be far less vexing to others as well. And when we show greater concern for the needs of our next-door neighbour rather than keeping up with the latest news that's happening in America we will make a far greater impact in the world. And when we give up as Christians trying to bring in the kingdom of God or do great things for the Lord and instead commit to faithfully following Jesus in the ordinary events of our life, his light will shine from us all the brighter. And when we resolve to pick up our Bibles before we pick up our phones, and when we decide to feast on God's word rather than binge on Netflix, and when we stop to pray rather than pressing on to be productive with our day, then we will find ourselves calmed and quieted, and our restlessness will be replaced with the true rest that comes from living our life in relationship with the Lord. Psalm 131 is calling us to the whole-bodied humility that comes from knowing that we belong not to ourselves, but to a God who loves us.
And with this belonging comes comfort and contentment that the world simply cannot offer. And maybe most counterculturally of all, it means that we can have hope, a real and lasting hope that comes from knowing that the future doesn't lie in our hands, but in the hands of God. And so Charles Spurgeon says of the person who grasps the message of this psalm, how he prizes the grace of hope. He has given up the things which are seen and therefore he values the treasures which are not seen except by the eyes of hope. And there is room for the largest hope when the self is gone, ground for eternal hope when transient things no longer hold mastery over our spirits. And so, brothers and sisters, may we be humble and faithful, not haughty and lofty. May we seek the quiet life of following Christ rather than concerning ourselves with great and wonderful things. And may we be those who are ruled by the hope of heaven rather than by our hankering for the world. May we hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. Amen.